0: We had this wonderful experience of working with Kelsey and doing this Mm. uh, the renovation diaries with, and I feel like my phone hasn't stopped ringing because of that. That's great. For literally, I mean, that was last summer. Yeah. So it's it's been a probably two phone calls a week because of it. So my concern is with this was actually like (laughs) I hope the phone stops ringing and somebody calls like in two years when we're finished (laughs) with what we're working on. We'll do
1: our best to ruin your good name (laughs) with
2: this podcast (laughs) and stop people from calling you. I'll let you do that, Jeremiah. When you think about historic preservation, you probably think of something along the lines of restoring a home to the way it was when it was built in, say, the late 1800s. But that's not the only way to revamp a house. I'm Asad sirkat I'm Jeremiah Budin. And you're listening to The Appeal, The Curved Podcast.
1: Today we're talking to architect Brent Buck. He's based in Brooklyn and he renovates a lot of uh, historic old townhouses and brings them up to modern standards.
2: Exactly, so you don't have to have your coal delivered via dumbwaiter to your fireplace.
1: Or heat your house with a wood-burning stove with pipes that run into all the rooms. (laughs) Exactly. Whatever else is going to burn your building down.
2: So tune in if you want to hear about what his work is like and why Instagram is still a source of inspiration. What a wonderful segue. Thank you for that yeah, into no, just talking more generally about your work. Yeah. Um, and we were doing some research, some some background checking on you because this is NASA after all. Yeah, this is NASA. Um, and you grew up in the Midwest. Yes. Yeah, Where right. in the Midwest exactly?
0: So I grew up in a town called Curtis, Ohio, which okay. uh, I think if you looked it up um, – uh, it would be a series of farm fields on, mm-hmm. you know, a square mile grid and a population of maybe 1,500, something like that. Okay, so
2: huge metropolis, so sprawling it, metropolis. Just
0: sprawling. <laughs> I mean, you know, barn was probably the tallest structure around <laughs> that Yeah, you, the trees, excuse me.
2: And you've noted that you come from a family of makers. You, you include, you know, masons, carpenters. I think tinkerers is a word you use there. Yes. Um, how did, you know, how did that... Kind of all coalesce into your interest in architecture. I'm assuming that that had a pretty outsized effect on you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my two grandfathers, uh, masons, plaster workers. uh, My grandfather on my father's side worked on an assembly line for General Motors. And um, you know, uh, at their funeral, we talked about them being tinkerers, and that's what they did their whole life. They both built their own homes with their own hands. um, You know, with help of their brothers and uh, Mm -hmm. and and wives and and sisters for that matter. But um, and that you know that sort of. Making culture in the family definitely, you know, was per, per, pervasive. Uh, my father sort of embraced that. Was you know went down in the basement, built model airplanes, tinkered with tractors, you know, car engines, all these types of things. And so that was really the way that we grew up, uh, and and really became a part of you know uh, you know who I am. You're painting a very bucolic image of
2: Curtis, Ohio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the Curtis, Ohio, in my experience, is basically. Uh, my father built a house in the middle of a square mile block mm-hmm. so he wanted apparently to be as far away from other people as possible so it was my father my mother and my two brothers and that's really you know how I grew up and, and so we're all very close because of it yeah so you way. must have been
1: like just designing and creating things before you really had an idea of that as like a career kind of path right
0: yeah I mean I think it, it, it started as very you know very pragmatic and practical thing of literally mm-hmm. like putting dirt in the back of a dump truck and there was you know, this idea of trying to make something. And then the sort of design thing uh, came into it really in high school and uh, the uh, American Institute of Architects sponsors in, in Toledo, Ohio, which is the neighboring metropolis to Curtis, <laughs> Ohio. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, they sponsor a, a high school design competition. And so I totally just fell in love with that, you know, one month every year for four straight years. And, and you got to work with local architects who, who mentored you and showed up at high school and sort of looked over your shoulder and threw the trace p- paper down and then, you know, gave you an internship at the end, That's you know, so great. which was That's just a cool. wonderful thing t- uh, to sort of bring it, bring me into the profession. Yeah. What did you do? Designed for the? Did you win the competition? Uh, y- well, there. Were, so four years, I think I won the competition okay, twice. Yeah. So that was, but so that was also a reinforcing, a real reinforcing moment. <laughs> uh, my humility there on full display. But uh, it gave uh, some money and a little bit of a scholarship to go to college, which was, you know, a, a nice little boost as well. But uh, I think one was an entryway to the Toledo Zoo. Uh, another was sort of a rec center in, in Maumee, Ohio. Uh, a na- you know, a neighboring <laughs> along the banks of the Maumee River, right. uh, Maumee, Ohio. So, you know, it's an eclectic group of different programmatic yeah. uh, requirements.
2: Very cool. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the Renovation Diary series that you worked on with us here at yep. Curbed um, last summer, which was really awesome, where you we, we kind of tracked the restoration and revamp of a late 1800s Italian at Brownstone in Brooklyn. Um, you have a very specific approach to historic preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be curious to just hear your like brief elevator speech about what that is.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, we I'll start by saying we, we weren't necessarily interested in historic architectures when we started tackling that project. Mm. Uh, and when we moved to Brooklyn, we moved into a... Um, I'm, we, my wife and I, moved into the uh, to a townhouse in Cobble Hill that was, you know, f- you know, in in fairly rough shape, but mm. uh, but had a lot of very traditional details. And we really fell in love with the history of the place, the history of the neighborhood, uh, and so that really got me started on thinking about these old townhouses that we've started to work on. Um, and so our approach. Is, is generally to evaluate the structure, evaluate the building as a site, as a way to think about um, what's original, what's been modified in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Where's the water damage? Where are the rotted joists? And so we try to analyze what we can touch uh, and sort of try to leave a lot of what is. You know, original to the house there as much as possible. Um, But at the same time, trying not to apologize to history and not to say, okay, well, we can't be strong in this moment here Mm -hmm. and be strong over here, but while still being respectful of, say, George Chapel or other historic, you know, turn of the century architects that are well regarded in Brooklyn and and, uh, really built things that. Frankly, we don't really build like that anymore, um, and so I, I don't re- I necessarily feel like we need to revere it, but we want to preserve it, and but we want to leave our mark too. Mm-hmm.
2: And when you say be strong, you mean make, you know, purposeful aesthetic choices that don't have anything necessarily to do with, you know, how people would have lived in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, know?
0: yeah, exactly. Moving beyond that, and, and even things. even material choices, but even some plan opportunities where you mm-hmm. might take two closets that. Um, you know, I wouldn't think anybody would want to necessarily preserve two closets, but some people would. <laughs> and maybe that you can combine those and open it up into a kitchen that opens into right. two existing bedrooms on the second floor of a, of a you know, of a brownstone. I thought but. you were going
2: to suggest, like, one large
0: closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's also what I thought, you know, it's, it's like, passed. right, we all so, want a huge closet. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's about being respectful, but at the same time, yeah. Um, you know we're not we're not, I don't really want to be uh, replicating every historical right. detail yeah. in and homes. it does seem like the
1: kitchen is where when you do see something that it's like trying so hard to like recreate exactly what it would have been in like a bygone era but and then and then you get to the kitchen it's like well it couldn't do that
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, the well, the use of these homes has changed so significantly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, much, so many of the kitchens would have been on the garden floor in the back. There would have been a dumb waiter to a former for, uh, formal dining room. There would have been people probably help, you know, in these homes. And so we don't live like that anymore. And so yeah. frequently these houses are being chopped up into three, four, you know, two family buildings. Yeah. Occasionally a single family you know house. Yeah. And the Downton Abbey days are behind uh, us. Yeah, there, we're we're <laughs> we're beyond that for the most part. Um, and so the use has changed, and with that, you know, the floor plans need the change but still being respectful.
2: Yeah I think a lot of people think of preservation as kind of like a puritanism like we just you're going to go in and you're going to restore the house to the way it was when when it was first conceived as a home but we live in such a vastly different way. I mean you think about um, just the technological advances that we've made since the late 1800s. I mean the the number of things that um, have changed the way we live in our homes is kind of It's like an astronomically long list. Yeah, Yeah. Um,
0: people aren't carrying coal up these these ornate staircases and putting them in in coal hoppers and right exactly. We're not doing that. So, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you don't do that on the weekend. Well, no, that's not really. You know,
0: we when, when we were planning the, our, our particular house, you know, we were thinking about doing a fireplace on the second floor, and you're like, mm. yeah, but who's carrying that firewood up there? Heather? I'm not going <laughs> to be the like, one that's carrying the like, firewood. I'm not volunteering myself yeah, for that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So
2: gotta get. You have to get your uh like your maybe it's a newfangled dumbwaiter that's just <laughs> for firewood. You know
0: yeah well the problem yeah the problem with dumb waiters and we've recently discovered this is they're huge. so you know you're going right. to take up you know 10 square feet mm-hmm. on every floor well, not maybe that not- well probably about ten square feet on every floor of a house. It's no, just huge it's just like a significant <laughs> amount of kitchen space and storage yeah. space and, and maybe a, a pantry downstairs or something so
2: yeah, for sure I would also really like to talk about Kind of the, the nuts and bolts of just going up before like the Landmarks Preservation Commission mm-hmm. here in New York City. I can imagine that that is not easy to do. Yeah. Um, so just to give people a primer, maybe Jeremiah, do you want to do that? I will try. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> so in New York City, we have a Landmarks Preservation Commission, which is, uh, I'm going to use all those three words now. It's a commission, <laughs> <laughs> a commission of architects and other people who are, uh, I think, appointed by the mayor, right? Who, is that right? I don't know. We can, we can research and put in the post, but essentially if a building is in a historic district or is an individual landmark and you want to make changes to it, you have to present those plans to the commission and they have to approve them, uh, which is a lot of the buildings that you do are in historic districts. In Brooklyn, pretty much
0: right. In Brooklyn, and yeah. both in Manhattan, but mm-hmm. uh, and and the Preservation Commission oversees all the historic neighborhoods and and historic, uh, de- historically designated buildings throughout all the boroughs of, of New York City, um, and so it is a it's a long process, um, and and it really involves everything from if you're changing a window to uh, on the front of the building or the back of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, the can't forget about the back can't of the forget, building. Can't <laughs> about the back. We have definitely submitted our fair share of, of light specs and and you know fence details and things like Mm -hmm. that over the past year to the lpc for approval Uh, but typically what we're doing is we're going to a a community board and that community board um, is a a group of of concerned citizens uh, in in a particular you know uh, neighborhood historic district and we're seeking their approval so we're giving a presentation to them and then having an open forum and a discussion Uh, And then from that point, if they approve our project, we move to the full LPC hearing, which, you know, the first time we did that, we were a little nervous. It's (laughs) a big room. You know, there's a lot of people sitting around a relatively large table. Um, But it's an enjoyable conversation. And, uh, you know, I think... Fortunately for us, uh, up to this point, I think our projects have been reasonable, uh, and and so before you head into that hearing room, you've been working with a preservationist for you know a month and a half or two months mm-hmm. beforehand, and they've socialized your plans and, and your thoughts to to the general you know to, to everybody at Landmarks who's going to weigh in on this decision. So I think then they can provide you feedback before you go before them, so you have the opportunity to to have this sort of uh, pre-hearing in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. To try to you know build consensus uh, before you go to the full LPC. At least this is the way that we approach it. Um, yeah. And and a lot of the buildings that we've been working on, we're not doing radical things. We're, we're potentially putting you know an addition on the top of a historic property or in the rear of a historic property, <laughs> which is maybe radical to some people. Uh, and and it's certainly radical to us. And we take that responsibility very seriously. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. do you ever? I've heard of uh, like architects. Um, proposing
1: like a bigger edition the first time so that then like they'll get rejected and does that actually happen to <laughs> do, do that?
0: I, 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 I can't speak to that. I okay. don't know <laughs> if people do that but it's certainly I think I could see it happening where you present something a little bit more radical right. than what you want and let the community weigh in on it and, and your Some plans crap. become it modified yeah. a little bit which. It doesn't um, seem like with your particular designs like
1: you're really trying to like get away with anything. No right?
0: I I think you know I, I we hopefully are on the right side of history yeah. with what we're trying to do <laughs> right. and accomplish uh, you know just changing the use of a building uh, and the needs of, of of a more contemporary end user uh, as opposed to uh, you know I'm not there's a lot of Erroneous development going on in and around our borough, no. uh, and Manhattan, and uh, and the preservation, you know, commission serves a really great purpose. Uh, you know, I'm a believer in it. Um, you know, we try to work with them. we we fully disclose what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to do, and mm-hmm. it's more of a conversation. And we and we certainly we appreciate that. What is the most times that you've had to revise a plan? We uh, so our, I will say our last hearing went incredibly smooth like it to the point of i was looking at my client as like you could see the whole board sort of changing their opinion and they were they were going to approve something and i'm like this is gonna happen i'm <laughs> over but i'm like this is gonna happen right. and it was so exciting but um we ha- we haven't uh the one of the changes that we had to make which was to change the exterior cladding of of an addition from you know stucco to uh to brick and that happened in mm-hmm. the hearing so you know that's a you know, an add to the cost of the project, but mm-hmm. we actually socialized that idea with our client beforehand. So, um, right. you know, we got a little tip from from the LPC that that might happen. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, in, in essence, we change our plans, but not holistically, yeah. so.
2: I think the granularity of some of these issues can be kind of like mind-blowing. Like you mentioned changing cladding from stucco to brick, but I mean, just when I look at like the kinds of things that need to be approved, that like actually do need to be approved by a community board or the LPC. I mean, it's like really amazing to me. Are there any other weird things that you're
0: like, oh, we have to get that approved? Well, um, what weird just in terms of the landmarking process, or landmarks in general. Mm I, I promised Molly and Doug in the office, they were blown away by the size of the uh, the men's room, not Molly, but Doug, at, at the LPC. Anyway, I had to mention that. And it has the most incredible view of the Brooklyn Bridge. So if you're ever at Landmarks, all right. uh, go into the men's bathroom and look out the window because it's got a spectacular which, view.
1: Which we shouldn't get too bugged down in this because we're the only two people who can listen to this who have been there. But which bathroom?
0: So there's a bathroom at the end of the hall. Okay. You go all the way, you, you know, you walk into the LPC Oh my God! A, and you take yeah. a left, you go all the way down the end of the hall, there's a men's bathroom, it's got a an incredible view over the Brooklyn Bridge. I used,
1: to, I used to go there like once a week for like a year, and I must have been going to a different bathroom, because I went into like a
0: dingy small
1: little bathroom. That's not time. this bathroom. You I heard promise, it here first. I promise, oh, I promise. Got it. A wasted, a, a wasted I have wasted my
0: life. You know, it's a, I actually, this is very strange, but I actually took a video, like a time-lapse video from that bathroom window looking at the Brooklyn Bridge and posted it to Instagram, and people <laughs> reached out, and they were like, that's the bathroom at the LPC. <laughs> people recognized it, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah.
2: But were there any specific components of, of your of your work, like your projects, like lighting elements that you didn't assume would actually need to be approved, that
0: that did? Well, I think I think there's a general. Uh you know, idea that anything on the rear of a building mm. is is sort of off limits, uh, but certainly um, the LPC is is interested in what you're doing back there. Uh, so that that always uh, is something for for our clients when we when we let them know that those plans are going to have to be submitted. They're very very surprised by that. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think there's a certain kind of like breeziness about the rear of a of an historic structure, any structure really, but especially an historic one. It's like, well we're preserving you know what it looks like from the street and so that is where we're doing kind of the most like conscientious work but also, oh, oh no oh no oh no oh no <laughs> hold on yeah, yeah
0: exactly also I think people get blown away that you know they feel like you know anyway the buildings are in rough shape a lot mm-hmm. and so preservation is also just just back up a little bit but preservation is about investment and so a lot of these houses have been have had deinvestment for the mm-hmm. past 50 to 100 years and so you're having uh, people with a different means and preference come in and and invest say a million dollars or three quarters of a million dollars or a million and a half in a townhouse mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, that's going to have the opportunity to make a bluestone sidewalk and restore that or the ironwork, which you know can cost a significant for- small fortune, mm-hmm. or restore the front of a building. Um, and so uh, that's always an important thing. And, and I think sometimes people are surprised that because they're making those investments, there's still people who are going to oversee that process. And, and, right. and some things are a little bit out of our control. Yeah. But uh, sure. yeah. Uh, so this is kind of a Hail Mary. Yeah. but. I'm a huge
1: fan of stories where somebody's renovating a house and they find like a Mickey Mantle autographed baseball or like a <laughs> original poster from like King Kong. Have you ever found anything in like a floor or a wall? Uh,
0: we, f- we find things all the time. I mean, it's nice to Sync. find. Well, but like, not like that. Uh, so somebody ripped up in a, a floor recently in bed of all places, and they found pennies like thousands of pennies under the floor. Like when someone was putting down a linoleum tile floor, they put a penny in each corner and it wasn't to level it. I'm not sure what it was for, it was <laughs> this great mystery. And there was just this amazing mass of pennies now in this renovation project. Uh, That's probably the strangest thing, you know? I mean, there's a lot of old newspapers so that weird. get found, it's so weird, it's so weird. <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a lot of old newspapers that we find in the walls. Uh, less yeah, exciting it, than it, Less pennies. exciting <laughs> than pennies. But you know, you kind open up the wall, you see it and you're like, oh, somebody, did some work here in the forties or the thirties, or right. you know, yeah, even you though the house date it is from, exactly. you can date it exactly. So that's, that's kind of, cool. that's, that's always interesting. Um, you know, you open up walls, and uh, we found a uh, you know we found a horseshoe, which was that's that's dice. You know, oh, yeah. cool. that, that was good luck. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Better than like a broken mirror, or 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 right. a bunch of asbestos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, That's also
1: a classic symbol of bad luck: a bunch of asbestos. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, I think I think Jeremiah. You wrote about this? A man in Jerusalem was renovating his his bathroom. Oh yeah, I forget what it was. And I also
1: forget exactly what he found, so I should have looked this up beforehand. But it was he, like he under he uncovered that like a whole room. Right. I
2: think he uncovered like Roman I don't know. It was he he uncovered not Roman, he uncovered um like ancient ruins under yeah. his bathroom. Which like, hello. Yeah, That's insane. That sounds insane. Exactly. That sounds I amazing. mean he I mean he had to stop he had to stop the work he was doing and like get in touch with archaeological officials to like so, I don't know. Bring a team in to yeah. like help excavate this ruin that they had well, that's, covered, that's and, cr- and you're working in Jerusalem. I mean, you know, it could, that yeah, could that'll be happen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. It's par
0: for the course, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> We we haven't found any of that in Brooklyn. No ancient (laughs) far. No No (laughs) ancient We're working with a Roman sarcophagus right now. That might be a bathtub, but uh, (laughs) besides (laughs) that. Exactly. Uh, Um,
2: Something that I have really loved um, being able to do is following along while you're working on Instagram. And Instagram has been, I think, an outsized presence in all of our lives Mm -hmm. these days in the design and architecture Mm -hmm. world. Um, And it's like, you know, there's plenty of candy for anyone who loves design anything on Instagram. Tell me about how you use it. I feel like you're using it kind of like as a mood board and like a way to communicate with folks.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know we were on Facebook and it was we got to we got to see what our friends were doing, hmm. but it wasn't so much a connection to a larger community. And Instagram has been wonderful that we have this three to five minute little creative exercise every day or every other day, and you know you take a picture of something you're working on and you send it out there, and I, I, that's uh, for us just this moment where. Um, it's almost a mood board. I've never thought about it that way, but it is nice to go back and kind of scroll even through your own feed and kind of remember where you were a year ago or some previous thoughts that you had or what was important to you or previous conversations. Uh, and so we've, we've definitely connected with a lot of different design professionals all over the world, quite frankly, hmm. uh, through Instagram, which is something that just... Continues to to boggle my mind and and totally inspire me, For um, sure. uh, and and really find young designers in San Francisco in California in uh, San Francisco, California, in <laughs> in, in, in London, uh, all over the world in India, and uh, and really be inspired by what they're what they're working on. That's great. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I always just like love pouring over those photos on all sorts of feeds and just like really seeing. Kind of people's creative processes and like what they're what inspires them and like what they're working on.
0: Yeah, I think I think you know one of the we see so many finished perfect photographs of things, Mm -hmm. and I feel like with our work right now, I don't really want to be putting that out there. It's so much more interesting for me to share process and and you know a a demo or a -hmm. a couple of Polish carpenters banging hammers and framing out a wall or or you know something like that because that's just where we're at right now, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that um, some of those some of those final photographs actually this is one criticism I have of of Instagram and just the availability of all those images it can freeze our clients and it can make people sort of just say oh I want that or I'm not really sure I want that I'm not really sure and the process becomes very outward as opposed to inward and it would be you know that would be my one criticism that if we can focus on what we're working on um and really and really turn to ourselves and have it more maybe true and Honest design. Uh, <laughs> You're making approach. a facial expression as you say "honest," <laughs> but I think that, that is actually a perfect word for this. Yeah, sorry, I, I gotta go to <laughs> cringing. So that, but like cringing. <laughs> but uh, and so that would be the sort of downfall of Instagram. But uh, for me, uh, it's been am- an amazing tool and and really just to connect to other design professionals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are
2: you big on it? Are you big on Instagram, Jeremiah? Uh
0: I'm not. I have one, uh, but you don't use it. I don't use it.
1: Yeah. All right. I well, still like Twitter. Interesting. I huh. That's not. I mean, Twitter, Twitter has not been less good. Same. Less good for design. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> More exactly. good for like little dumb jokes. <laughs> just like tweeting about this amazing bathroom yeah. that I'm looking at I right love now. All the all the twitters I follow, they just say like, "Oh, cabinets." It's just words. Okay. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> like the opposite, like a textual mood board. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. Less yeah. exciting.
1: I do like, I mean, I'll, I'll go, I don't spend time on the Instagram feed, but I will like, I'll look at your Instagram and just like look through it and be like, oh, whoops, that was like 30 minutes. <laughs> just, like, yeah, it's easy. It. it's easy to fall just <laughs> yeah. into the void. You, you go down that rabbit hole yeah. and exactly. you wind up, who knows where you wind yeah. up. And it's just like so fascinating because like, like you said, like architecture, any architectural project is just like so long and like, just to mm-hmm. see like little bits uh, of the middle of it is like really the most interesting part i feel like
0: yeah i mean essentially the The final photograph starts to become the work, right? And that yeah. always scares me. And it's it's so much about, you know, we had a, a design meeting last night with some clients, and that conversation is much more, you know, the the work, and then that final photo, photograph mm-hmm. is going to be. Um, but most people only want to see that final photograph. But the conversation is so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, the final photograph just has so much anxiety for me. For
1: sure. And yeah, and like any project where you're like taking an existing thing that like already is already there and like transforming it is so, like I don't want to see an Instagram of like a glass building getting made because whatever (laughs) yeah just like seeing something get restored in pictures is is one of my favorite things yeah it's a richer experience the the before and after yeah yeah yeah
2: absolutely um so i had one other thing um that is kind of instagram related Uh i know you frequently post um images of your sketchbooks which i eat up i think it's great that you're still out there beating the drum of yes. hand sketching read <laughs> um, I, I read, that, I read yeah. that you you won um, the drawing prize at Yale when you were a graduate student there yeah, yeah. Um, so why is sketching so
0: important to you, you know, it's' it it's mostly just the way that we can quickly communicate ideas, both you know, explore different ideas that are in front of us. We can put a, a CAD document down mm. and quickly uh, iterate three or four different you know solutions that are different from what we what our you know what our initial response was, uh, and we can show that to a client really quickly. Mm. Or you know, Doug and Molly in the office, we can we can quickly say, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? And and the fastest way for us to do that is through sketching. Um, there's also this sort of Zen quality for me that I love to put on. Music and just sit in front of my, my desk and roll out the trace paper and have mm-hmm. a couple of pencils and a pencil sharpener and and there's nothing more wonderful than that for me. Yeah. Uh, everything just kind of falls away and it's not to be too cliche here, but that was it's a, that's just a personal personally yeah. wonderful experience. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we're gonna move on to our thunder round, which is like a like a lightning like a lightning round. <laughs> we're gonna but, explain uh, this every time. time, time we can't just say thunder round and not give the little true. thing. All right, so. Oh wow, thunder round. Uh, so on your website, you might be noticing a, a pattern of our research here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your okay. website, you mentioned that uh, you have the world's. Possibly the world's only complete collection of Jens Kiestgaard-designed teak pepper mills. First of all, did I say that right? Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's wow. a
0: much debate. Uh, okay, so I think it's Jens Crisco is how it's oh, pronounced. Crisco. But <laughs> I, but you know what? I'm not Danish, and okay. they're they're rolling over right now, <laughs> laughing. Yeah, so exactly. I'm not even tr- I'm not even gonna try. Um, And then there was a documentary that was made about him where I answered the phone and he said, like, Key Cigar. And (laughs) and so then we started pronouncing his name that way. And then we were in Denmark recently sort of following the the peppermill trail uh, to meet Richard Nissen, who's this. Anyway, we can go down that road of 87 year old man who Mm. made all of these peppermills that we collect um, and, you know, mass manufactured a lot of them. And he's. where was I headed with this? Anyway, he still gets on the bus every morning uh, and travels to his woodworking studio. He's uh, eighty-seven amazing. and tinkers and makes pepper mills and makes trays and makes other stools yeah. and other wood. And products.
2: he probably knows how to pronounce that. last name. And thing. he definitely <laughs> knows how to pronounce. <laughs> Just that. to bring that full circle. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: the, yeah. The full circle is we, he told us that you know in that documentary he did that as a practical joke. That's not how you pronounce his uh, last uh-oh. name. <laughs> so we were put out. We were <laughs> oh, telling no, people I this is this person's wow. Dave in the United States for a while. That's a, that's not a really name, so. really good joke. Yeah, it's it like was, a very well executed.
1: Um, so, did you like set out to to form that collection, or did you like get a few and then?
0: So we we got a few, and uh, we didn't really have ambitions right. to make you know <laughs> a, a wall of shelves at our house. With, well, certainly my wife did it, uh, <laughs> and uh, and you know three became five, and five became ten, and. And what's amazing about them is you could find them. We found some on Atlantic Avenue. People mm. didn't know what they were. Um, I think that antiques dealer is still mad at me for, <laughs> for, for, for picking his stuff. But you can find them in thrift stores. You know, we've, we found them all over this country. We found them mm. in Denmark. We found them in Europe. And and that that was really the wonderful thing about collecting them was uh, you didn't have to just go to eBay to, right. to, to buy something yeah. or just go to a furniture dealer or a vintage dealer, but you could actually find these. Yes, the thrill and of I mean, the hunt. The, oh yeah, absolutely the find. Like you find these, it's just, uh, yeah. we find Found one and, uh,
2: How many do you have now? Would oh, you we,
0: estimate? Oh, well over a hundred. There's mm. probably I don't know 130 or 125. different They look shapes. great. Yeah. So they're they're beautiful. I understand. They're beautiful. They're, <laughs> it's a total sickness. It's a and but, it's like
1: a cool collection because like who else has a collection of Yen's creased go
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: The skeptical well, look on your face just now, now is perfect.
0: It's not like I'm the only one. But there's there's definitely, uh, when we went to Denmark, you know, there's a small community of, of the serious Peppermill right. collectors here in the States. And I brought back the catalogs and sent it to those um, guys. So it was you nice. know, they're, generous we have, of We you. have a good camaraderie <laughs> of cool. the Peppermill people.
1: Uh, so one, one last question. Um, top three favorite kinds of wood.
0: Oh wow, yeah. that's that's that <laughs> that is the lightning round right there. Yeah, that's, this is now we're in lightning. Or, or, or yeah, exactly. the, we were at the thunder yeah. round. We've we moved the on to lightning round. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I would say um, I like white oak just for its its humility. It's a local material. We use it a lot. Um, that's a really boring one, but uh, <laughs> bolo is a really stunning, you know, tro- tropical wood that we don't use probably because all the trees were harvested in the 60s and 70s uh, before that. Um, but it's truly a beautiful, beautiful wood. Um, and uh, you know that I have a lot of unfavorite woods, but uh, and really anything that's not sustainable, you know, mm-hmm. you see, uh, you know, things like wenge are coming from Africa. Um, you know, there's just so many different tropical woods and, and rainforest woods that people use. Uh, Ipe is one that's really popular mm-hmm. as a decking material now. Mm-hmm. And I think the jury's out on a lot of these things, but um, yeah, let's stick with white oak. Uh, I think that's <laughs> a good. That's that's <laughs> basically us. That's, awesome. awesome. that's that's our flavor.
2: Practical advice for all the listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe considering a renovation soon. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, it's, you know, 10 to 12 bucks a square foot, so right, that's exactly. not so bad. Thank yeah, you so much for, you coming for coming in. in. This was really yeah. awesome. Thanks, for and having I hope me.
2: that people will check out your work. Your website
0: is buckprojects.com. There we
2: go. Thanks so much. If you liked what you just heard, please do subscribe on iTunes and check us out on SoundCloud at Curved Radio.
1: And rate us the highest possible rating at every place where we can be rated.
2: (laughs) Yes. That's five stars on iTunes, ladies and gents. And five SoundClouds on SoundCloud. (laughs) Probably. That is not a thing.